Events. My name is Candace Davis, and I'm the Director of Event Programming and Creative Services here at VFairs. My guest on today's show is Evan Babbins. He is the trendsetting global events producer, and I'm super excited to dive into event sourcing 101 with him today. Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking so forward to chatting uh, about event sourcing and all the things. I feel like we have a lot of things in common just with our background and um, production and events and management and all that good stuff. You're like the king of it all. Um, so before we dive in, tell us exactly what you do in the events industry. Yeah, for sure. So I've been in the industry for, as a pushing 10 years at this point. Um, don't want to age myself too much, but uh, I've really been fortunate to do what I consider is to be a 360 degree view of the industry. And so I started off back in, I would say 2005, 2006, in the AV production world through DJing is how I came into the industry. I then went hospitality side. So I worked for venues in the operations and event management. I then figured out that life wasn't just about 90 hour work weeks and I wanted a break. So I went agency side and you're probably thinking like, that's crazy, it's even longer hours, but it really, was a, was a nice break from, from hospitality and venues. So I managed uh, events globally for a couple of agencies in Toronto. I then went client-side at Equitable Bank, where I ran the entire events department across the country, across Canada, been to a couple other agencies in between, and now I'm producing events globally, virtual, hybrid, and in-person for amazing clients all around the world. Cool. I mean, that's that's... That's a lot. Um, number one, hats off to you for number one DJing. That sounds like that was so much fun, but super grueling. And then adding on the hospitality piece to that, I, I think that's a really good place to warm up when you're getting into the events industry is to start in hospitality. That'll rock your world and really humble yourself. I mean, there's to me, there's no one who works harder than people in the hospitality world. Come yeah, on. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was like craziness. It was like, Wednesday to Sunday event time. So like you're doing noon to four in the morning, plus you were working Monday and Tuesday office admin. It got to a lot. It got to be a lot. And there was like serious burnout in there in that those roles. Um, and it just got to a point where I was like, this isn't what I want my life to be. And this isn't where I see myself succeeding. And so, and I was like, the world isn't just venues and it's not just, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be fulfilled in the venue side of things, which is where I sort of started working on that path of that 360 view. So getting that like vendor side under my belt from the DJ world, from the hospitality world, knowing the ins and outs of as an event producer agency side, because that was my next sort of direction. I knew what the mindset was of people on the vendor side, because I'd been a vendor for so long. Yeah. And you really look at events differently when you've been on both sides. And a lot of people who I talk to about this, they're like, oh my God, it's so true. Like you just appreciate people more. There's respect more for front of house, back of house staff and venues. You know, 
some people that are, and I'm maybe be a little controversial with this, but maybe some people in the industry who take advantage of those kind of people and, you know, only look out for themselves as the producer, you're not going to win and your event will feel it, you know? And I took that on the flip side and I was like, how can I, you know, and I use this analogy a lot is like, as an event producer, you know, you are the quarterback of the entire team, right? You've got all the different guys along the line and you're calling the plays, you're telling people where to go, where to be, what to do. You really need to treat your line and your team as if they're one big team. And people who can do that successfully are the ones who succeed in events and who succeed in repeat business and being on those lists of like, I want to work with that producer. I want to hire that producer. I want that person on my team. And it took a long time to really understand that mindset. And so using that mentality of you are that quarterback, treat everyone the same way. It really has shone through in the events that I've worked on over the years, because it really gives you a different spin on the industry and you look at things differently. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I'm glad you said it. Uh, 100% agree on all of those things. And it really does give you that kind of advantage being in that place and then coming and see it from the other side is completely a different advantage point and a way for you to really give back and make sure those people succeed and set your event up for success too. I, I cannot agree more. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, um, of course. Man, we're starting this out strong. <laughs> Don't want to be too controversial this early on, but I feel like no. it's, you know, it's important topics. I feel like a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people shy away from like, and I've talked about this in, on other, you know, other shows and other conversations I've had is like the respect factor in the industry is so polarizing. Yeah. And I've, 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 you know, I've given the, the claim before that like you may agree with me or not agree with me, but the people who succeed the most are the people who can give and take respect with anybody in the room. And I'll give you a really great example. We were doing a conference with, this was maybe 2018 or so. It was a huge four-day conference in Orlando. We had, you know, flown in like a really big guest speaker to do a keynote. Uh, one of the biggest like acts at the time, let's call it. And I had never seen this before. And before the show started, before his session, he came backstage where we were all in the production area in front of house he went to all the AV tech guys and he shook their hands and said, you know, I really appreciate the work you're going to do today. You know, I really appreciate the work you've done to this point. Like, let's crush the show. Let's have an amazing event. And then at the end of the show, at the end of his speech, it was like an hour or whatever keynote. He got a massive like round of applause, like standing ovation from everybody. At the end, he came back around to front of house and he shook everyone's hand again and said, I really appreciate the work you did for me. I really appreciate you making me look good on stage. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And it's so, that's such a, like an, an anomaly that never happens. Yeah. And the flip side to that story, and sorry if it's a little long-winded, but the flip side to that story is I was doing a different event in Vegas. And the CEO of the company, it was like a 3,000 person internal event. The CEO got on stage and we had done rehearsals and tech checks and everything. And for whatever reason, there was supposed to be a video that played during his presentation. He was clicking on the perfect queue. We got the queue. The video didn't load. The backup computer just wasn't working. And he literally on stage 
you know, yelled at the tech guys was like, it's not my fault this is happening. It's the guys pressing the video player. It's the guys in the front of house. They screwed it up for me. Don't blame me if this is a problem. And it's just like total opposite, right? And it makes you feel the respect so much more when you've experienced it and you, when you know where the good people are out there. And it makes you want to work with those people and book those people and unfortunately not want to work with other people. Yeah. You, you learn a lot, um, you know, from a list to D list. I mean, sometimes you're, you're doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. It doesn't matter who yeah. it is. So um, thanks for saying that. I appreciate yeah. that. I, I agree with you. It's not controversial. Come on. <laughs> Cause so, some people have, have gone and like came on to me after like at the other shows and they're like, I can't believe you said that. Like, like you're going to put yourself in a bad position. Like no one's going to work, want to work with you. And I was like, honestly, if they don't have that respect and they don't have that respect factor, like, I don't want to work with them either, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You've been doing yeah. this for 10 years now. Yeah, It's time to. Yeah. Shake up a few feathers. That's right. You know, <laughs> um, listen, I, I've listened to a couple of podcasts you've been on and you have some really cool stories and, you know, where you've gone in your career. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit today about event sourcing because you are kind of the mastermind guru um, of all things event sourcing and uh, with all that you've done in the industry and, and for, you know, clients along the way and stuff. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about some tips that you could give some planners and organizers out there who are interested in doing it better. You know, like so much has changed, especially with event sourcing too, that that could be a whole other conversation we have <laughs> just about pre-COVID, post-COVID um, and kind of where we are today, you know, in 2023. But first, I wanted to start with just the basics of event sourcing, and then we'll kind of get into the nitty gritty. But um, from your take, your meaning of event sourcing, would love to hear that. Yeah, I think event sourcing really comes down to, and again, it's like that football analogy that I used earlier. Like, it's really about putting the right people in the right positions, whether it's internal teams that you're working cross-functionally with or vendors that you're bringing into a program that are outside of your organization. I think it's it's so important to have, you know, obviously amazing relationships go a long way where you can pick up the phone and, and call someone and they'll deliver for you because you've known them for 15 years or 10 years or two years and you have that relationship already. But I think even more so is like building new relationships with new vendors in new like verticals that you would have not used before so you can, you know, again, be the best quarterback out there and like have the best front line protecting you and delivering for you to get those results you're looking for. So I think it's it's about sort of internal and external sourcing. Um, but but yeah, there's like it's all about the right people in the right positions that the, at the end of the day, the client or the attendees, whoever the goal is to have that experience that you're looking for is putting the team in place to make sure that 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 event or that experience uh, is done like flawlessly. Yeah, and I think two things that come to my mind when I think of event sourcing and, and what I've done in the past is you really take a risk to source specific areas and certain needs that you have for that event. Uh, when you've, you're used to using a certain vendor and maybe they're not available, you're taking a risk and you're trying to put your trust in a new vendor over here, you know? So um, mm -hmm. it's it's not easy, you know, to do and can be hard and can be easy too if you find the right vendors who uh, you're on the same page, you know, um, the goals are the same and they kind of understand what your, your needs are for the events. But um, yeah, 
I, I love that. And um, a specific process or guideline. I know a lot of planners go at it differently, of course. Um, but is there one in general that you tend to follow with sourcing where you're just kind of kicking off and, and starting sourcing and planning for an event? Yeah, I think you want to sort of take your whatever your KPIs, your metrics, whatever you're trying to figure out for that event and really like go deep in that. And like, it's, if the goal for that event, let's say it's a culinary event, for example. So the goal is to have the best chef making the best food that everyone will give a 10 out of 10 score on the food for that event. Like you're kind of going pretty niche on that topic where you can sort of look through, you know, Michelin star guides and you can look through different, you know, food and wine magazines and find the best people. But I think when you sort of zoom out a little bit and you're doing sort of end to end project management, event management, and you're looking for all the vendors across the board and you're on a timeline because most of us are on timelines when we're producing events, we don't have, you know, five years to produce an event. I think it's about getting referrals from the industry if it's in your market using getting other people who have used these people locally or like for me a lot of the work i've done is in the states and i'm in toronto and so when i'm going to a new market in the u.s i'll find like on linkedin maybe like an event group that is local to nashville or to vegas or orlando and i'll ask you know people in those groups you know who have you used for you know furniture who have you used for draping who have you used for x y and z and you may not know these people that are giving you answers, but if they're in these groups, like they probably have some form of a good baseline of what they're saying. And then vice versa, if someone's in the States and they're looking to do an event in Toronto, I'm always there to, like, to reach out and like, this is who I use locally. So I think it's really important um, to use those relationships, use those networks, especially when you're going outside of your home market. And even into Europe, it's like even more important where there might be language barriers where you're doing an event in Germany or in France and you don't speak the local language. You want to make sure that you're getting the best experience and you're not getting taken advantage of because you don't speak the local language or you don't know how they do things like in the, the nuances of what's happening in that market. Yeah, that's a, a great point there too. Uh, that's a little tip. Thanks for throwing that tip out there for everyone. Um, and, and you're right, you know, going back to trust and event sourcing, I feel like they really go hand in hand um, and finding people that you're familiar with within your network, like you talked about, even if it's a, a different city, a different state, a, a different, you know, country, um, really kind of tapping into who you know and who you can find out who might be able to give you some pointers. Because I feel like the events industry in general, you know, we can all be pretty friendly, you know. Um, it, it's all like, you know, keeping, uh, you know, people close and, and making sure because everything it's around, right? Um, so we exactly. always want to, to have that kind of mindset. So that's a great point. Um, and, you know, when we talk about event sourcing, we could talk about hundreds of things to source, but I want to specifically specifically talk about events in general and um, venues specifically, because before, you know, COVID hit three years ago, three plus years, I guess you could say. Crazy um, to think about. I know. Yeah. It feels like five years ago and then a month ago. Sometimes. Also yesterday. Yeah. 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 Exactly. 
And I know a lot of things have shifted with event sourcing over the past three plus years, um, specifically for events, because you hear some planners go, yeah, the, the venue that I've always booked for, you know, seven years now, it's now taking, you know, two years to get that same venue when I could book it six months, get it, you know, kind of in and out. And they had a great relationship with that venue. It's just bizarre in some ways. And the cost, that's another thing. Venue costs have skyrocketed. Crazy. As far, you know, again, hospitality costs, hotel costs, all of those things together. But um, what's your recommendation for selecting a venue and booking it? And how far in advance should planners be looking to book? And what, what have you seen really is what I'm asking here, too. I think it's really important to do site checks and site visits. I think a lot of people on the venue side, and again, I've been in that world, obviously, way before COVID. So it was a totally different time. But venues change things around from photos on their websites or, you know, 360 tours that they do online. And especially now post COVID, you know, a lot of venues sometimes have downsized. Maybe some venues have increased their size. Like, you know, I did an event in San Antonio in April, 2021. So like pretty heavy COVID at that time, you wouldn't have known it in San Antonio, but you know, we felt it up here. Um, but the venue that we were working in, the convention center, when we had, you know, done like our our venue sourcing and our and our looking for, was a, we were a trade show booth in a massive show. We had looked about, okay, where's the best place to load in? What time? What route do we have to take? We ended up getting to the show and our logistics partner who was driving the, the booth, it was a massive like 40 by 40 foot booth. So it was on like a tractor trailer they had changed where the loading dock was from all the documentation online. And so everybody was like totally caught off guard and they didn't even think to like email us in the vendor package. Like, Hey, we've moved our loading dock. We've moved our directions of how to get to the loading dock. So like, it's things like that. So if you can do a site visit in person, that's obviously ideal. Now working out of market, you can't always do that. So maybe again, you have someone in your network who lives in, San Antonio or Nashville or Paris or whatever that you can say, Hey, can I contract you for half a day? Go do a site visit for me, take some videos, you know, FaceTime me when you get to the venue, let's set up a quick Google meets or a zoom call that I can physically see the space. If it's not affordable for you to get there, if it's out of market mm -hmm. in your market, I think it's non-negotiable. You should always do site visits because things change and venues change and the look of venues will always change. Like, a carpet is different. And now you're banking on, you know, that, that blue carpet to be part of your scheme and your decor and your layout. And now it's, you know, a yellow carpet and now it's like, everything is off. Right. So now it's like, well, I need to rent in a yellow carpet to match everything I'm doing or whatever you're, whatever you're doing. So I think that would be the biggest tip is like wherever possible do site visits, go talk to the venue in person. You know, obviously zoom calls are great. And, Phone calls are great, but until you can step inside and, you know, take your measurements and figure out your loading areas and find the best path from the loading dock to where you're setting up and which ballroom you're in or on the show floor, however, the best way of getting there is. So you can relay that information to your logistics team or your internal team, whoever's doing that event for you. That's how you'll be the most successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed with that. And you've seen over the past three years, tons of venues get complete makeovers. I mean, outside, they can look, you know, they may, may have had work before. Now they have 
white brick and, you know, the whole thing with the carpet that you talked about and moving rooms and the loading dock is a bizarre one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many different changes that have happened to venues, especially over these past, you know, a couple of few years. Um, so always good to check on that. That's a great idea uh, and, and great tip, too. Um, and then, you know, once you have your venue selected, uh, AV is another one we get a lot of questions about, um, especially with virtual events um, and then hybrid events, too. But I know the importance of an, a, a good AV in production. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. I've seen a lot out there. Um, but for AV, what's what's your kind of tip there for selecting an AV team? I mean, just selecting one, not, you know, doing uh, everything past the contract, but um, since you have a lot of experience with production, what are your big tips on selecting AV teams? Because you can you can really mess it up if you get the wrong AV team, you know, who's maybe wrong things or selling you. And the goals are different, all of these sorts of things. But would love to hear from you specifically on this. Yeah, I think it's really important to know what you're getting into before you get in too far to it. I think with AV, you know, it's sometimes sometimes it's an afterthought for events like is it absolutely necessary to have all the lighting and the staging and the video and, and everything else? Like more often than not, it's a nice to have. And like, let's be realistic. Like an event can happen with a microphone and a podium and two speakers. It may be quiet in the conference room, but it can happen. So a lot of planners look at AV as their kind of last resort when they're doing their budgets and they don't give enough budget towards AV and good AV and, and really good AV or bad AV can really make or break an event, especially from, from my lens and my perspective. You know, I have a bit of a, a bit of a, I would say, a, a bias towards AV because I obviously started there in my career. And, you know, speaking that language as a technical producer, you know, I know if the lighting, the stage lighting is good or not from walking into a venue and looking up in their, in their rig and seeing what's in the ceiling, right? And then you kind of figure it out along the lines of that sort of walkthrough in the venue site visits. It's like a lot of venues have in-house equipment. Some don't have in-house equipment. Some are going to charge you thousands of dollars to patch in an HDMI cable to the wall to use their screen and projector where you can bring one in for a quarter of the price on your own. So I think before you get, get to a contract with the AV team that you're going to use, I think you need to know what your venue has and what they don't have, what they allow to come in what they charge for a lot of venues. If you're bringing in your own AV, they'll sneak in a $1,500, $2,000 patch fee to be able to plug into the wall, like power to the wall to power on your own equipment or your team's equipment. So knowing what you've got in your venue contract is super important before you can have the AV conversation. And then once you know what you have and what you can work with, excuse me, then it's like, okay, here's the show. Here's the stage plan. Here's what we want to do. You know, we want to have, you know, two 70-foot, you know, uh, LED video walls. We want to have surround, you know, surround screens in the back of the room for Phil. We want to do a full lighting grid on the ceiling for the stage and for the audience. Like, you can get pretty crazy and pretty technical, but if it doesn't bring value to the show, like, just don't do it. Like, don't waste your money. Like, if the only person that knows what you're doing is the show director and the technical producer, like what's the point, right? Like if, if it's reasonable and if the audience can feel a difference and see a difference, like I'm a huge fan of going crazy on AV and 
having all those cool shows because that's really my wheelhouse and that's what I love doing. But there needs to be value. There needs to be a purpose behind it. And if you're just doing, you know, a panel discussion with four speakers and a moderator, you need a couple of lav mics, a couple of speakers, maybe a podium for the intro and outro. You don't really need a lot. So it depends on your goals of the event. So I think, I guess the big takeaways is like, make sure whatever you're doing brings value to the event and to the attendees. Make sure you know what you're getting yourself into before you go down the AV road and make sure what you're doing is noticeable to the people you want it to be noticed by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've read in a couple of event articles recently that a lot of, you know, things have changed from the perspective of the attendee wanting to attend an in-person event versus, I hate to keep saying it, but three years ago, you know, they might've come for the entertainment piece and the lights and all the crazy things. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like people are kind of, kind of coming back down and they want space. Maybe they want, you know, the cocktail reception to be outside so they can kind of walk around and not be in a small space with others. All these sorts of things have come up. And um, Mm -hmm. I think just looking back at maybe what your audience and your attendees were expecting, you know, three years ago and maybe kind of reevaluate and see if they're maybe expecting the same things or just kind of playing it down is kind of what I feel like things uh, where things are at right now. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. you know, crosswise too, but I love the big production. Of course, I think those things will never go away, but I think sure. people are just getting like their, their feet wet again, especially people traveling and going back to shows and, you know, trade mm-hmm. shows, conferences, you know, concerts, I mean, you name it. Um, so I think, I think those are some really, really valuable takeaways that you just added there too. Um, yeah. What are the challenges you're seeing with sourcing at the moment? I think it, it comes back to labor, always comes back to labor. I think labor is, since COVID, is tough to, there were so many people that, that left the industry on the labor side across the board, not even just like AV, but like hospitality and, you know, even like on the DMC side of things, like so many companies folded, so many companies just couldn't make it. And so you have this like influx of clients who want to do events, but the industry, I don't think, is back up to 100% capacity yet. And you're getting these companies and these teams that are stretching themselves so thin, trying to overdo what they would have done pre-COVID because they feel like they have to make up for lost time on, on the company side. That like They're like, we need to give our people you know, that trip that they lost out on or those programs that they missed out on you know, for two years plus and we want to do three shows, you know, in one basically. And like budgets are slashed still. And so it's, it's fighting those battles between clients who want to do these big elaborate, you know, we missed out on events because our people want that versus like you said, people are like, you know, is a hundred percent of the attendees ready to go back on site yet? Like, no, I don't think so. You know, you're, you look at a show like, you know, CES and NAM and these like big shows, IMAX, like they're not back to their numbers that they were pre-COVID. I don't think they ever will be, to be honest. They'll be back to big numbers as the years go on and as we continue to prove that we can do events and they're safe and, and there's not like major outbreaks anymore. But, but, the, but your attendees' wants and needs in 2023 
are not what they were in 2019. And a lot of companies and brands don't understand that concept. They, they think that it's still 2019 and they're like, we need to make up on lost time and we need to give people this like crazy experience. But then they start making their calls and the events team starts building the events and you come back to your team as with like a budget of like 1.3, 1.5 X of what it was in 2019. And then you get like, whoa, we've got to pump the brakes a little bit. We can't spend 1.5 X of what we spent in 2019. And as an event producer, you're sitting there being like, listen, you know, labor has gone up by 40% on the AV side. Food costs has gone up by 35% across the board. Hotels have gone up by 25% for rooming and, and travel. Flights have gone up by 15 to 20%, let's say, right? And like you try to under you try to pass that along to the people who are making decisions, and it's not always met with, well, as the event producer, like we trust you, we like get what you're saying, let's downgrade, let's scale back, like maybe let's take our top 1% performers in person and everyone else in a hybrid model because we just can't afford it and rotate who those people that are going on site every time. But like, you just, you can't, your mindset can't be events in 2023 or events in 2019 because the industry is so different for good and for bad. There's mm -hmm. not just bad. Don't get me wrong. Right. There's a lot of good that has come from COVID. I think, um, but people and companies who assume that your budget will be the same for the same product are the ones that are get this like crazy shock when they get the budget presented to them or they get a budget of X number and you're like, you want 300 people, but you can only afford 150 people with this budget. So it's that, it's that balance of who wins and, and who wins that argument. Like, is it, the producer who's been doing all the sourcing and getting all the information, or is it the CEO or whoever is making the call being like, no, this is what I want and make it happen in these, you know, terms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those, are, those are big challenges. And those are the yeah. same things that I've, I've seen too. Um, and now for, for these huge shows, a lot of them are going hybrid and some of them are still yeah. free, you know, for people to attend in person. And then yeah. some other people are going to a more paid model where you have to pay to attend and then it's free for hybrid if you want to stay home. And, um, right. ah, I mean, it's really kind of, uh, stirred the pot, you know, for so sure. to speak in, in so many different ways with challenges, but on the flip side, um, of what you're seeing at the moment um, on, on the good, so, good side, any of the pros versus like <laughs> the challenges that you've seen? Is there anything that one thing that stands out to you that's been actually a, a good thing that's happened out of all the past three years for event sourcing? Yeah, I mean, personally, you know, my wife and I, we had our son in 2020, in August of 2020. So as an event professional, like I was home working from home. It was deep COVID. I could still go to, you know, regional, global, national events in a virtual space and not miss out on family time. And a lot of people are feeling that, that like they didn't realize what they were missing until they were given it back. And a lot of like, you know, a lot of us in the events world were like, go, go, go nonstop. You're flying, you know, mm -hmm. 10 times a year. You're not home. That was just life. And that was everyone accepted it. And then mm -hmm. when COVID came and put a stop on that, people were like, wow, like, I can actually be this like amazing event professional and still be home with my kids, with my family, with my parents, like 
with my girlfriend, like whatever, whoever you're with, or maybe not, maybe you're just by yourself and you need some alone time and you got that time back. And, and it's like, it's that sort of, you know, conundrum now where it's like, things are back open again. People are traveling again. People are in this, this sort of dilemma of, do I want to travel still? And how often do I want to travel when I was given back all this time? So do I want to miss my kids, you know, first words, first, you know, foods, first like walking or whatever. Whereas previously you would have seen it on FaceTime or you would have seen it virtually. Now you've been given back that, that time and that space. And maybe people need it for mental health reasons. A lot of us in the industry need it, you know, needed that, that time and that space to be able to not have burnout and not be on the road all the time and not be working, you know, 40 plus hours in an office in a crammed boardroom all day. And you needed that time to over lunch, be able to go walk your dog or go for a walk around the block or go see a friend for coffee where you couldn't, when you were in an office downtown or whatever it was that you had to stay on a strict schedule. So, and I think that comes back into hybrid events and the hybrid event model where it's like, you know, maybe I want to go to a five-day event. Maybe I'm only going for the first two days in person, and then I'm home virtually for the last three days. So I get that sort of true hybrid feeling of I get to experience what it is in person, and then I get to be home, not away from my family, away from my friends or whatever. So I don't think the hybrid model is going away. I think there's always going to be a need for, for virtual. I think it's gone down a hundred percent from 2020 and 2021. But I think people who can still do virtual successful are ones that are really doing a great job and are keeping the engagement and are able to sort of carve out that, that sort of niche market where you're looking for people to take time out of their day at home where there's so many distractions where you don't have that on site. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit of both sides where, you know, you want to give people what they're comfortable doing. You want to give people options. I think that's a big word that a lot of people are talking about is like options and flexibility. And um, even like in the sustainability world, it's like, it's not as sustainable to fly to a show where it is to stay home and watch on your computer. You know, people are talking about like carbon offset and your carbon footprint and all those, you know, buzzwords that are going on these days. But it really comes back to if you're going to do a virtual event, if you're going to do a hybrid event, you really need to be super cognizant on who you're sourcing and what you're sourcing because you need to keep people's attention a lot harder than if they're in person in the ballroom in on site. So I think it comes back to who you're doing and like what, what you're sourcing and where you're sourcing and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. And that time that we've gotten um, over these past three years is so valuable. I mean, you keep the price tag on that, you know, and yeah. we were fortunate to, to have a little girl in 2019, you know, just a few months before COVID happened um, in, mm -hmm. in late 2019 when she was born. And then when COVID happened in March um, yeah. and I the time that we were able to spend together past, you know, the maternity leave and all of that of kind of was super yeah. invaluable. I mean, and still to this day, you know, I'm, I, I work remote. I, I have yeah. that ability to still be with her and drop her off at school and pick her up and all the things that I might not have been able to do before, you know, going to an office five days a week. So I really appreciate 
the flexibility and, and all the things, the advantages that have come to us um, for all the reasons that you mentioned too has been super valuable. And just, you know, on that note with sourcing, I mean, planners and organizers, no one saw, you know, this sort of thing happen <laughs> with COVID. So talking about sourcing specifically, I think, you know, planners now have to think about DR, like what is this, you know, disaster recovery plan that we need to have in place yeah. for this event? Um, and I think it's kind of open eyes of planners moving forward too. If something like this were to happen, um, knock on wood that it doesn't, but <laughs> never know. Um, exactly. And to always have, have a backup and to have something already kind of sourced and kind of uh, thought out. Um, uh, no one probably wants to hear that, but it's always <laughs> because it, it, yeah. planners and organizers would have seen all this coming. They would have sourced out, you know, a, a platform to do a sort of hybrid piece or to kind of wait or whatever that might have been for their plan. So yeah. um, that's that's another thing to throw in for sourcing. I remember it's so funny when COVID first hit and I don't want to go too much into COVID talk because I think people are tired mm -hmm. of it. But I was like one quick story. We I was at the bank at that point and I remember getting a call from that maybe it was the CMO or, or one, one super high level executive. And we were supposed to do our town hall on April 1st, I think it was 2020. And we had been planning since on November, right? Like getting people speeches. We had a venue, we had everything was set up. It was all done. And then, you know, my wife and I went to Florida for vacation, February, no, March 2nd or something we left. We came home like March 11th and the world shut down like three days later. And I remember coming home, getting this phone call the day that sort of it happened. And, and the call was basically like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this event? We have everybody coming in from across the country for this event. Like, what's the plan? And it was literally like COVID happened Friday. Like we all went home from work on Friday thinking we'd be home for two weeks. And then Monday was this phone call. And I was like, honestly, I don't know the answer at this point. Like, give me a few days to like process and figure out and whatever. And we ended up, we were using Microsoft Teams for our internal like communication instead of Slack, which I don't, I'm not a fan of. I hope no one objects to that, me saying that, but I don't like Teams at all. But Microsoft Teams built in already pre-COVID, they had this live event module that you could add on to your corporate account as like a webcasting uh, module within Teams. And so the first thought we had was like, we already have the software. Everyone knows how to use the software already. How hard would it be to add this onto our like corporate plan and just do the event on Teams? And so that's literally what we did. So we had all the executives, we we like did a fake live event. So we pre-recorded their speeches, their updates, their like town hall, you know, whatever. We stitched it all together in a video. The entire company was like 650 people at the time. Everybody dialed in to this live event that we had set up on Teams. And we hit play on the video. And it was like a welcome video. It was like all about the team and staying together. And we're taking care of you and manage the risks and all that verbiage that we talked about in April of 2020. And then it was this, what people thought was this live event that had all the presenters doing all their speeches with their PowerPoint decks and everything else as if it was happening in person, but it looked like they were all at home doing calling in live to the show. And, and I, I tell that story because not only was it like we had so much information coming towards us at that time, 
there were so many companies popping up that was like, we can do live streaming, we can do virtual events, we can do this. I had been planning virtual events since 2017 at previous companies. And so I had the relationships outside of Teams, like Microsoft Teams, with a company that's actually based in the US that had been doing live streaming for me for hundreds of thousands of people for three years before. And so after that event, it was like, okay, what are we gonna do now? How do we like top that? And so we brought them in like right away and we did like probably 10 events between April 1st and the end of April, 2020, all in a virtual platform because we had this knowledge from previous vendors, previous relationships that was so valuable at the time that we weren't learning what a virtual event was, how to do a virtual event. How do you plan for that? As a producer, like that was the biggest learning curve of 2020 was event producers became video producers and having those connections and having those vendors and those contacts made that learning curve so, so much easier and so much quicker. And so it comes back again to that, those relationships, the networking, having the right people that you can call. And it was just like a month of pure chaos, mm-hmm. but, but it was, but it was crazy. And now we're here and we're in person again. There you go. <laughs> Well, to the story, keep building those relationships within your network. You can't, you can't have enough network. Yeah. Stay close with those people, you know, be good to them. Um, yeah. Wow. So insightful, Evan. I really appreciate uh, you being on this episode, talking about event sourcing and good luck to all the planners and organizers out there listening to this um, as we continue to plan for 2023, 24. And it's crazy to think past this year, but people are doing it. Um before we end the episode, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, LinkedIn. You know, I'm all over the place. I post a lot. I comment on other people's posts a lot. I'm always happy to chat events with like-minded people. Um, my inbox is always open. Um, feel free to reach out or you know schedule a call or just chat. Post on my comment. Post on post a comment on my post. I'm always happy to talk with uh, with like-minded people. So I'm I'm everywhere. Instagram, LinkedIn, all over the place. Yeah, you really are everywhere. Um, Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the episode. And for all of you listeners out there, go and find Evan. He's a lot of fun to talk with. Evan, it's been so much fun chatting with you. We could chat for hours just, uh, (laughs) just on this topic. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. And many thanks to everyone tuning in and listening to this podcast. Many more episodes are uh, coming up. And uh, if you're interested in chatting with us here at BeFairs, we'd love to talk to you. Our email is sales at BeFairs.com. But until the next episode, peace, love, events. Bye, y'all.